welcome back to the Life Has Purpose podcast with Ryan and Bethany. Bomb burger. It is so good to be back. I mean, summertime is evaporating quickly. I know, but, but I'm going to go buy sunflowers tomorrow just one more time to put on the table. I love them. They mean, it means summer to me when I have sunflowers on the table. Summer for me is beach time. Well, that too. Except Sand we don't live at the beach anymore. No, we don't. No. And our kids are at camp right now. And Ooh. it's... Wait, wait. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Wait, everybody. It's called quiet. It's <laughs> called quiet. Hallelujah. Well, we don't have but, quiet. All but, all but one kiddo. I know. There's one kid. But he's awfully quiet without the other three. Oh, he's He's kind of content. He likes being an only child. <laughs> he does. <laughs> For, he's soaking oh. in every possible moment. We were going to have, well, we started on Monday with a justice, justice Appreciation Day, and then it moved over to two Justice Appreciation Days, and now we're on day three of Justice Appreciation Days. He, he's loving it. But you know what? I know he loves his siblings. We love our kiddos, and I love that they're at a, a our church camp, and mm-hmm. they're just having Holy Spirit encounters. They're having yes. a whole lot of fun. And I, and I love it. I love it because so many other people's camps have been canceled right. because of, you know, coronavirus. And honestly, now that you're saying that, I'm going to just read this out loud because it's so, let me, let me find it real quick. So our kiddos are at this camp and they've got the most incredible events and things that they're doing. Our game, the guy who's in charge of games was rocking it. We're getting these videos. My oldest daughter ended up eating a can of sardines. That's crazy. Nasty. Right. But my son Kai texted me and he said... The worship time was the best I've ever experienced in my life. That's what he said after the first night. That's the kind of stuff I love to hear. I mean, I love that they're having fun and heaven knows our our kiddos are slightly competitive. I don't know where they get that from, <laughs> Bethany. But <laughs> whatever. But they, they're having a ton of fun. But these these kids are just natural born leaders too. And I love the fact that they're, you know, being able to play that role as well. But when we get a text from our soon-to-be 13-year-old mm-hmm. saying that this is the best worship experience he's ever had, that's pretty awesome. cool. And you know what? My philosophy is every child is born a natural-born leader, and that it's what what is fostered in a child that allows that to come out. So I just wanted to plug all you mamas out there and all you teachers out there and all your dads out there and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that have the opportunity to speak into children's lives. Just know that they have gifts and talents and it is our job to help pull those out and make them uh, feel and know that they are empowered to be leaders even at their age. Right. We try to cultivate leadership that is godly leadership. Right. We cultivate leadership that's full of integrity and, you know, kind of like the leadership from our our. our politicians as we're heading out of summer into the fall we have to start talking about this uh which i try to i try to avoid it at all costs but honestly we have you know joe biden front page right we have kamala harris who's now his running mate yeah so this is the thing about (laughs) joe biden now remember joe biden and kamala harris are just they're, they're kind of made for each other because they're both radically pro-abortion. They're both right. radically anti-family, anti-First Amendment. They're both pathologically dishonest. Mm. You know, I know people will say, well, why don't you really let us know how you feel? This is <laughs> this is the mild version of it. But let's just remember, I want to play you uh, just some clips here. Mm-hmm. One, we're going to start off with the clip from Kamala Harris, who mm-hmm. was attacking Joe Biden, and rightfully so, for supporting segregationists. This is mm-hmm. during the the you know the initial debates back when mainstream media wasn't really asking them tough questions, but listen to this clip from Senator Harris. So on the issue of race, I couldn't agree more that this is an issue that is still not being talked about truthfully and honestly. I there is not a black man I know, be he a relative, a friend or a coworker who has not been the subject of some form of profiling or discrimination. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because she because we were black. And I will say also that that in this campaign, we've also heard and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist and I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. Mm -hmm. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And 
you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So what people don't understand is this actually had to do with a 1977 integration bill. Okay. It had to do with busing and the whole racial integration and trying to stop the segregation. Right. Even though the Civil Rights Act of 64 happened, there was still, I mean, we still went through this through the 60s, through the 70s. And so Joe Biden, Senator Biden at that time, was opposed to the integration. Hmm. In fact, this is the quote that he gave in his in the Senate hearing, and this is all documented. Right. And he says, quote, unless we do something about this, he was talking about the the busing, and he was, you know, adamantly against it. He continued, he said, My children are going to grow up in a jungle. The jungle being a racial jungle with tensions having built so high that it is going to explode at some point. Have, we we have. have got to make some move on this. It's amazing how much we hear about racism, racism, racism. And then there are these instances where you have people who are truly exhibiting racist behavior because right. what they what's in their heart is coming out. And then everybody turns a blind eye to it. Not everybody, but those that have been decrying racism in all these other areas. But somehow when it comes to, you know, the Democrat pick that he's not racist. So here we got Kamala Harris, who's now working with a guy that she was like ripping apart in the the primary debates, right? The initial debates. And so she's now the, the VP pick. Okay. But there are so many issues with Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, who is so radically pro-abortion. Let's, David Delayden. Right. Let's talk about the Center for Medical Progress and the excellent undercover investigation that they engaged in mm -hmm. because our mainstream media is not interested in reporting anything truthful. That's right. Legit. About the abortion industry. Right. So, in including Kamala, because we saw that um, $81,000 flowed into her account when she was the attorney general and into her campaign. Right. As from, AG of mm -hmm, California. Yep. Right. From Planned Parenthood while she's investigating the validity right of 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 these tapes that David Delayden took which were legit right. 100% but $81,000 flowing into your account between 2010 and 2015 when you're supposed to be the neutral party right as the AG it's crazy i just kudos to David Delayden who stayed calm and stayed focused throughout all of this and i know there were so many people praying for him because this really was an injustice right and well it still is because yes, he's true i mean the judge ruled against him so they are still in this crazy lawsuit but this is what david delighton tweeted about the vp pick he says kamala harris is the greatest threat to first amendment civil rights our country has ever seen i know because she had my home raided for speaking the truth about her political patrons at planned parenthood I don't get it either. I'm just seeing friends of mine like on social media that are literally pastors, worship pastors, and they're applauding the fact that now she's the VP pick. I don't get it. I really don't. Oh, it might have something to do with mm, leaving your Christianity <laughs> at the Divorcing door. Divorcing your Christianity from, from your voting. like Dissonance. Is it's that, complete I dissonance. Even, I don't know. And this is what happens. I mean, when you get Christians who are lauding people who won, who celebrate the destruction of those made in God's image, the most defenseless among us, I'm sorry. Because if that's okay with Christianity, if killing nearly a million in our country every year is okay with Christianity, right. then every, then everything's okay. Then Everything. Then you have absolutely no conscience, actually. Right. But it's because of it's because of color and race. You know what? It has to do with identity, identity politics. Right. And the thing about Kamala Harris, she is both you know Indian, Indian. and mm -hmm. she's Jamaican. So right. she's just a she's a mixture. But of course, she just kind of swings from one side to the other, which one she identifies with. And that's the whole problem with identity politics because it's not about the content of your character. It's not no. about your core pr principles and your core convictions, but it's about that exterior. I don't care whether you're male, female, black, white, or any hue in between. I want to know what your worldview is. Mm -hmm. And I want to know how that influences and how that will influence your mm -hmm. policies. Right. I, I would say, you know, for those Christians who are like, oh, well, that's just one issue of many abortions. It's one issue. Look at all the others. If today the issue were slavery, would you just quickly dismiss it and say, oh, well, that's just one of many issues? Really? What good is your Christianity? If you are not fighting for the most offenses, if you're not being a voice for the voiceless mm -hmm. and standing up for those, as Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, literally being crushed, 
Yeah. Your Christianity is useless. It is. And and there's nothing you can say or do that would convince us otherwise. Just nothing. Yeah. So when we come back. Yeah. <laughs> on on some well, actually, it's not necessarily a lighter note because some of the questions are, are heavy. heavier and some of them are lighter. But we are so excited to have our Q and A show, Life Is Purpose podcast. You ask the questions and and we answer. All right, we'll be right back. Life has purpose. The Radiance Foundation illuminates that every human life has purpose. We educate hundreds of thousands about crucial social issues, and we motivate people to positive action. Truth won't take a vacation. That's why we need your generous donation. Tax deductible, stuff is acceptable. Your gifts make illumination possible. Truth won't take a vacation. And here's our little explanation. Defending human dignity never ends. That's why we depend on you, my friend. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let it shine. I like it. You better shine, people. Go to radiance.life slash donate to make your tax-deductible donation. Thank you for supporting our life-affirming work. It's time for Questions and Answers. You ask the question, and we give you the answers. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. It's so fun to hear from you. We had questions that were sent to us via email as well as on social media. Some people who called us and left us messages that were questions. And I know we're not going to get to all of them. We're going to do our best to do a handful of them, but we love hearing from you. This particular question, our first question is from Angela in Richmond, Virginia. And she asks, she says, Hey, Ryan and Bethany, how do we lovingly engage in conversation with friends and family? who are feeding into the leftist narrative when we are labeled as unkind and unfeeling if we disagree. It is so hard to be at odds with other believers during this already challenging time. It's a great question. It's one we've been asked many times before in person as we've spoken about these different issues. And it's definitely... um, as some people say, attention to manage. It's not easy to engage in discussions with Mm -mm. people, especially those that vehemently disagree. (laughs) And we live in a time in history when if you disagree with somebody, it automatically translates to you hate them. Right. And I think that it's very important to actually lay the foundation and, and just say it out loud. We do not have to agree on everything in order to love each other. You know, it reminds me of one of the memes that we have out there that says people confuse I hate to disagree with I hate if I disagree. Right. But this is nothing new. It doesn't. People will, will invoke Saul Alinsky and all that's the tactic. But this goes back way before Saul Alinsky. It has to do with the enemy. Yeah, he likes, he, to, he likes to demonize those that disagree. Right. He's the accuser. He's the divider. That's why we're seeing division all throughout our nation. And that's why we'll, that's what we see the media breeding. It breeds division because the house divided cannot stand. But it's a great question. And so I'm going to encourage you to remain calm when you're in those situations. I know that sometimes that sounds so simple, but the reality is remain calm know what you believe and why you believe it, still continue to voice the voice of reason and truth, even when people aren't willing to completely agree with you. Because a lot of times, Ryan and I, we find that when we speak truth, it actually sets people free because some... Even when we've been talking about the race issue, a woman said to me, she was crying after one of our presentations, and she said... I've just felt so unsettled in my spirit and I didn't know how to articulate what I felt until I heard you guys speaking the truth this way. And so I think that there's something to be said for remaining calm, knowing what it is that is truth and, and continuing to speak to speak in love. And that's difficult. As someone who is a a designer, a creative professional, I'm always figuring out how do I say these certain things? How do we tackle these things? How do we distill some really complex things down to 
as Bethany puts it, digestible uh, <laughs> elements, you know, digestible stuff that people can then take and feel equipped and empowered to engage in these conversations. But see, this is what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants to silence you. So that's why people will call you unkind. That's why they'll call you a racist. That's why they'll call you a supremacist. Oh, get, first of all, we got to have tougher skin. <laughs> There's a verse, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. it says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. There is always, it's kind of like Ephesians 4.14 mm -hmm. where it says, you know, we, we won't be tossed to and fro by every, every wind of new teaching. Uh, we won't be tricked by lies so clever they sound like the truth. And for so many who, who embrace a, a false narrative and what they want is our silence. Right. And this is this is the thing. You have to understand people when you when you address a principle, you address a principle. You never have to attack the person. You mm -hmm. never have to be personal with that. But that's what the other side loves to do. Actually, I shouldn't just say that the other side. People in general do that. But you need to focus on, hey, here's the principle, here's the issue, and you can address that principle. And you never have to get ugly mm -hmm. personal, you know, and, and personal. And that's what the other side does. Trust me. I mean, we've been disowned right. by many people, by people, and friends, friends, and family. even some extended family mm -hmm. members, and it is going to happen. Right, and I think part of us having to get to a place where we understand that us with Christ is a majority. Sometimes we have to get to the place where we are okay with there being maybe new boundaries with friendships, right. because it's. You know, there's there's a point in which we stand and we speak and we share our hearts and we speak truth and we ask questions and we engage and we right. listen. But there also comes a time where if there is abusive, you know, language or if if there if it turns ugly, it's okay to walk away, create a boundary when it when it's dealing with this specific, you know, whatever the instances or the situation, and you might just have to walk away. Because the Bible also says, folks, don't cast your pearls before swine. There has to come a point sometimes where we just lay things down and we walk away. Right. It is true. And people who say, well, you know, when you discuss that, it's divisive. Guess what? Truth is divisive. It is. It separates wrong from right. Right. You know, it separates fact from fiction. Jesus also, I mean, we talk about Jesus being, you know, the Prince of Peace, but he also understood that truth, mm -hmm. particularly truth that leads us to salvation, will divide people. Right. It will, it, it is divisive. Yeah. It's meant to be divisive. Mm -hmm. And so in, in all that, we, we can have the, the heart and the approach that we are loving toward our, our friends, our family, um, but we also have to be cautious in that we cannot allow so much toxicity to the mm -hmm. point where you know there's 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 no it, it's too sometimes conversation can be to no avail so that's what yes. bethany's talking about with with boundaries there right it's excellent excellent um and you know we're going to answer these questions to the best of our abilities but this is i feel like they're questions but they're really conversation starters Right. Because we really can talk about these and answer these from, from a variety of different angles. But we do want, I always love to do an encourage and a challenge. So I encourage you to not give up speaking the truth, even when it's difficult and it feels like it's getting hot in the room when you're having those discussions. And, and the challenge is also know when to say when and to move on. Yeah. Well, we got another great question. This question is from Rebecca in Los Angeles, California, mm -hmm. the city where the mayor is shutting down churches, power, and water if they don't abide by the unconstitutional edict to stop singing and chanting in church and filling up to over 25% capacity. Insane. But in Los Angeles, Rebecca's wondering, can you address personhood in regards to unborn children? Sure. Yeah. You know, this is actually really simple. Every human is a person. Every person is a human. Right. Right there. And we all know science. In fact, there's a study that we talked about in our previous podcast. There's a study, the only one of its kind, that um, surveyed over 5,000 biologists. And 95% of those biologists agreed that human life begins at fertilization. Mm -hmm. The other 5% are, I don't know, employing common core biology or something. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with them. But the reality is... We know when human life begins. So the whole thing with personhood, it, it really is anytime 
a group of individuals can then strip away mm-hmm. personhood from a, a group of human beings. It's to enable discrimination. It's right. to, to enable violence. It's mm-hmm. to enable anything negative mm-hmm. toward that group of human beings. Right. And it's it's just another attempt to add verbiage to this whole discussion. Well, they're human, but they're not a person. Like, no. That they're actually completely interchangeable. And no matter how you look at it, once the egg has been fertilized, it's not going to grow up into a desk or a chair or a frog. It's going to grow up into a human that's taller, larger at a different age of development, a different stage of development, a different age. But we a human never becomes anything other than a human. So it, it is a person from the moment that there's conception until the moment of death. Our society's strength, I think, is truly shown in how we treat the weakest among us. Our humanity shines when we defend the most marginalized, the most defenseless, Mm -hmm. the most vulnerable. And who's more vulnerable than an unborn child who can Mm -hmm. do nothing to defend herself? Right. Nothing to protect himself whatsoever. So... You know, as someone who is who is brown and, and we look at the history of America and those who fought for those of my complexion who were who weren't considered people. Right. You know, you had protests with signs. I am a man. Mm-hmm. Something that mm-hmm. should be so just elementary. Common sense, right. Right. Such common sense. Yes, I am a man. And yet someone having to proclaim that to get other people to believe that. Mm. So the easiest thing for human beings to do is to have one rule. That every human being has the right to life, and that right to mm-hmm. life begins at fertilization. Mm-hmm. Life has purpose. Hi, I'm Kimberly, and I'm pro life because every kid should have a chance to live in the world and have fun and do amazing things. ProLifeKids.com. Listen, download, and subscribe to the Life Has Purpose podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All right, welcome back to some more Q&A. Life as Purpose podcast is all Q&A this episode, and we've got some really amazing questions. Right. Some really thoughtful questions. Some come from Instagram, some from Facebook, some sent voice memos to our email address. And in fact, this one is from a listener in Missouri. Check it out. This is Carrie from St. Joseph, Missouri. I've been disturbed by the number of Christians reading books like White Fragility and How to Be an Anti-Racist. Books like these really seem to be changing the definition of racism. Can you all talk more about why assuming that any disparity in outcomes is the result of racism is a dangerous idea? Thanks, guys. I really love what you do. You know, I have to agree with Carrie because I've been disturbed by the number of Christians reading books like Sheesh. White Fragility and uh, Be, Be the, the Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. I'm I, still here. Mm-hmm, I mean, the mm-hmm. White Awake. Come on, people. <sighs> because if you read the Bible and then you read these books, <laughs> the two don't gel. No, and, not at all. And honestly, um, I'm increasingly disturbed by the number of pastors and pastors' wives. I know we always kind of call out the church on certain things, but the reality is the church should be different from the world and we shouldn't be reading the same books. We have, we have a better book. Let's talk first about what's the definition of racism. If we go right down, you know, to the simplest form, the Webster's dictionary, it says that race is a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Actually, that's the definition of racism. And so it's saying that "Mm, I believe that I am superior to you because simply because of my race. Now, we've talked about this in other shows. Race is a human construct. So this is something that humans have created, which allows us to lord over other people. But we aren't inherently superior to one another. We are all created equal. And so the entire concept and the idea that one would determine that they were superior over another, this entire idea of racism is unbiblical. And um, well, even the concept of race 
is unbiblical. Right. I mean, there, there is no such thing as race. We're one human race. But there, there are people making millions of dollars off of these books, throwing out white guilt, white privilege, and white fragility. And they go on and on and on with unbiblical concepts, with unbiblical approaches to it. So let's just talk about this because the whole thing about right. anti-racist, if you're anti-racist, that's the that's the thrust behind, of course, Black Lives Matter. So to be anti-racist is to be anti-biblical because there's there's nothing biblical about how you address the the evil of racism. Right. Because what, it's, it's what not about biblical? forgiveness. It's not about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about this cult of of forever having to atone for something that you didn't do. Or if you did do it, you still have to atone for it forever. Right. It is biblical to understand that none of us are created to lord over the other one. Of course. That we have a savior, we're not one another's savior, and that as humans, we are created equally. Well, from one blood. Yeah. Acts 17, 26, we're made from one blood. And Galatians 3, 28 very clearly lays out equality. There's neither a Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. That's not what's being taught in these books. Right. In fact, these books are really taking their perspective from the critical race theory. Right. Mm -hmm. And and what does critical race theory do? It puts you into two different categories. Mm-hmm. You're either, and based on your perceived, and I put this in quotes, race. So, but isn't that racism? If you're going to automatically put people into a category based on race, isn't that racism? You label people oppressed or oppressors by their mm-hmm. color. Isn't right. that racism? And if you're in the oppressor category, I love this. You're never right. Right. You're never right. You're supposed to shut up. You're mm-hmm. supposed to admit guilt and you're supposed to pay perpetual penance. But if you're in the oppressed category, which I guess, sorry, babe, I'm in the oppressed and babe, you're you the get, oppressor. you get to double dip. You're both sides. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. But if you're in the oppressed category, you're never wrong. You're never wrong. Isn't that a form of supremacy? Mm-hmm. So if you're white and you don't admit that you're, you know, that you're fragile, you're wrong. But if you do admit that you're fragile, then you, then you admit to all of these things that so much of it is so illegitimate. And that's and, the problem with all, right. all of this because it's, it's a secular mindset. It's rooted in a godless theology, um, humanist theology, if you will, uh, where the God is self. And it doesn't ever lead to a beneficial outcome. It doesn't lead to healing. It doesn't lead to wholeness. And what happens is when you take on this theory and when you believe then that because of the color of your skin, you're categorically in one place and that is where you're always going to stay, then as this girl, as as our, our listener Carrie has said, it's changing the definition of racism. But see, that's what the left does all the time. I mean, George or- Orwell speaks to this. I mean, you change the language and those who own the language and control the language control the narrative. So just like with the, the left and trying to change what sex means, it does not mean like in the Civil Rights Act of 64, it, it meant male, female, gender, mm-hmm. male, female. But now, of course, thanks to Supreme Court's another supremely wrong decision, uh, Judge Gorsuch agreed shockingly with the left side of the court saying that, oh, no, sex means all these other things. It means sexual orientation. It means gender identity. Well, then why doesn't race in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 also mean racial identity? Right. Why can't Rachel Dolezal be black? Right. Why can't I be Asian? Right. So language is, is everything. And that's why when you change the language, you get to change the, the entire narrative. And that's what white fragility does. In fact, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a quote we, we love, by the way, great resource, Neil Shenvey. If you go to right. Shenvey, S-H-E-N-V-I, apologetics.com, oh my goodness. Right. You want to understand critical race theory, and actually he has great critiques of all of these books. Please check out Shen, shenveyapologetics.com. In this whole mm-hmm. attempt to redefine racism, here's an example of how absurd it is. Neil says, if I define the word bigot to mean, quote, a female vegetarian, Unquote. I shouldn't be surprised if a room full of female vegetarians object to being called bigots, no matter how many times I reassure them that the word carries no moral connotations. Neil points out so astutely, he says, a white person who may be in one of her training, Robin D'Angelo is the one who wrote the book. Um, but if, if a white person is in that training session, he can either admit, and this is a quote from Neil Shenvey, he can either admit that he is racist and fragile, or 
he can demonstrate that he is racist and fragile by denying that he mm-hmm. is racist and fragile. End quote. You cannot win. Right. You cannot win. And so I find it interesting, too, the the people who are becoming millionaires from this, most of them being white, <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about white mm-hmm. supremacy and white fragility and white guilt, and they're white people profiting off of the self-denigration. There's so much out there. Churches are embracing this because they're so desperate to try to perhaps right the wrong of not engaging in the conversations. But that's not how you right a wrong. No. How about you have the conversation and talk about what the Bible says? If there's sin in your heart, repent of it. Leave it at the altar. If pride is what is leading you and is motivating you, if you look at different people groups, anything or anyone rather, and believe that you are greater than them, then you should be at the altar on your knees and you should be repenting before the Lord God, your Savior. Why? Because it's his heart that our hearts would be right with him, that He we would be his representative. How are you Christ's representative on earth if you're deciding that one creation is better than the other? That's not God's heart. Exactly. And so the reality is there are people of all hues of skin in all socioeconomic uh, levels that need to get on their knees before God and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for treating people certain ways. Yes. And and because the church has not done that, then there's this, you know, people are so quick to rush in and buy into the fact that they're more of a sinner than somebody else because they were born a certain color of skin. When I had literally no choice, <laughs> had no choice into which family I was born. I have no choice into what color my skin is. I could lay out on the sun as long as I want, but yet I was still born with the color of skin that I have. Right. It is not God's heart that for the rest of my life, I cower under shame and I cower under guilt. God always says, Every single place in his word, what does he do? Exchange, exchange, exchange. Exactly. I take your shame and instead I give you my glory. And take your guilt, I take your guilt and I'll give you my glory. Right. He replaces all of those things. So how is a Christian saying, hey, guess what? There's never going to be enough knowledge for you to ever uh, replace the fact that your skin color is your skin color. It's also bogus. It really is. I mean, Romans 3.23 talks about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. But yet these books and this worldview, this critical race theory that has infused all of these efforts, unfortunately, is not biblically based. It really isn't. And it doesn't lead us to forgiveness. It leads us to this false guilt, this false humility. And it's not bringing healing. And I just want to touch on some of the other things. The, The main theme in a lot of these books has to do with guilt ancestral guilt. I want to lay out an example for you as to why as Christians, we have to reject that. I was conceived in rape. Am I responsible for the actions of my biological father? Mm. I would say the answer is a resounding no. I'm not responsible for my biological father. I'm not responsible for my biological grandfather or my biological great-grandfather. And the list goes on and on. So this whole thing of ancestral guilt is so contrary to what God does when he forgives. So when we're looking at all these issues now, it's 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 not even it's not even repentance to God. It's the bowing down, the genuflecting to a political movement, literally. That was the short-winded response. <laughs> right. But you know what? There are other books that you can read in place of this. First of all, any book by Thomas Sowell is phenomenal. There's also, babe, what other books? I know that you always have. I, I always suggest the One, One Blood, One Race by Ken Ham. Um, yes, those are, those are excellent books. There's also one by um, Professor... Now, don't get it confused because there are two different professors. George Yancey, Y-A-N-C-E-Y. He is actually the Christian professor. Right. But he has this great book called Beyond Racial Gridlock. And of course, now the books right. that we're recommending, it's not saying we agree 100% with everything in that book, but I would say 90% more we agree with. Right. With the other books, we disagree with 90% more. Right. So you got Beyond Racial Gridlock. You got Tony Evans, Oneness Embraced. And as you mentioned, the book by Ken Ham and A. Charles Ware, both white and black, um, partnered together in this book called One Race, One Blood. We have got to break out of this mode of thinking that somehow people who carry a broken ideology have the answer for Christians. Mm. 
We are the ones who have the answer for the world and we have to stop acquiescing and and giving up our, our space and time to people who have a broken worldview. Right. And you know what, folks? We can do this. We can show the world that this can be done. We don't have to worry. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like it's hopeless and there's never going to be resolution. But we are the physical um, example of resolution. As we go before the Lord and repent for things that are in our hearts, we love people better. We love people more and we can love people so well that we're going to show them that, hey, this is God's heart. God's heart is repent of your sins, turn to me, confess them, believe that I'm your savior and show the world um, who I am. And the more we do that, the more we perpetuate God's heart for his creation and not the world's counterfeit heart for the creation. It's a counterfeit what's being offered. Okay, so now the second part of your question has to deal with the differences in outcome. Because mm-hmm. if things aren't totally equal, of course, there has to be discrimination. Of course, it has to be race. This is what mm. we hear. Every facet of America, every aspect. If there isn't total parity, total equality between, you know, whites and mm-hmm. blacks or, you know, other hues of of skin, then it's racism. Differences in outcome don't mean racism is always to blame. Right. Of you know, course. there's this unjustifiable belief that everything in American society has to reflect the population as a whole. Um, The percentage of blacks and other minorities or women, when you're looking at executive leadership teams, have to be equal or greater than even uh, their their percentage in population with gender or race. Or whatever other category. Right. Yeah. You know, we're going to link to these studies, by the way. We're going to link to this information in the show block, uh, show number 14 block, and you'll be able to actually click and link so you can see these numbers. But let me give another example. There's the National Association of Scholars study, which is a Mm -hmm. recent study, um, 2020, earlier this year, that showed some interesting, but I guess not so surprising information about colleges. 48.4% of professors on college campuses are registered Democrats. Well, how many, guess how many are Republicans? (laughs) Well, I read the study, but it's... (laughs) Less than 10, it's less yes. than 8, it's yes. less than 6. It's 5.7. 5.7% mm-hmm. are registered Republicans. Right. And then you go into how many give to Democrat candidates. 2,081 professors in the study gave only to Democrat candidates, while mm. a measly 22 professors gave exclusively to Republicans. I mean, okay. You talk about lopsided. That's a whopping 95 to 1 ratio. But liberals who blame every unequal outcome on something nefarious are perfectly fine mm. with that massive disparity. It's okay. How about the NBA? So 82% of the players are black. 82%. Where are the white people? Well, <laughs> they might not be as tall or as fast, but I don't even have a problem with that. Um, while 13% of the country is African-American, but 82% are playing in the NBA. Right, but who's who, who's having a problem with that disparity? No, they right. The woke NBA isn't. They're fine with that enormous racial disparity. And the truth is, I don't even care about racial disparity. I'm not calling for there to be more representation of white folk in the NBA. I just think that people who can play well need to play well, and it should be based on your ability and your talent. Right. Exactly. And a story. It, it shouldn't have to do with color. You know, Dr. Thomas Sowell is one of my one of my favorite individuals yeah. in America because he's one of the most profound and precise sociologists out there who looks at these 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 statistics, who looks at all this information. By the way, he is he happens to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would encourage you to read his books. Uh, listeners, please. There is so much wealth of information in his books. You can't go wrong pretty much with any of them. Um, discrimination and Disparities helps you to better understand the insanity of the left's constant cry of racism at every outcome in every facet of American life. So Dr. Sowell talks about what he calls the invincible fallacy. And -hmm. he describes it this way. He says, quote, the belief that people would be in the normal course of events proportionally represented in various endeavors in the way they are represented in the general population, end Mm -hmm. quote. And in the same article, it's a great article by um, The Federalist uh, online, And he concludes, when he's asked about, does racism explain all these negative disparities? He says, there are so many reasons for disparities that to single out one reason a priori is almost Mm. madness. 
end quote. Right. But you know what? Racism, babe, is the easy scapegoat. I mm-hmm. mean, the onus is never on the individual. See, when you cry racism, it's never your fault. It's never right. my fault. Right. It's always the, the onus of responsibility is always on the oppressive collective. Right. I mean, how do you explain that during America's most racist era, during slavery here in America, people of my complexion rose above and financially succeeded like former slave and abolitionist, my favorite, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. How do you explain that? In Jim Crow America, women like Madam C.J. Walker, born in 1867, thrived. Not only did she thrive, she became America's first self-made female millionaire. What? And that's white or black. Come on now. It's Oprah Winfrey, born into poverty in 1954, who can rise from that very poverty mm-hmm. during the civil rights era mm-hmm. and become one of one of the most powerful people on the planet. Of course, she needs Jesus. I'm just saying this. Oprah, Jesus is waiting <laughs> for you. He's waiting for you. But people want to blame what they want to blame so that there's no individual responsibility and mm-hmm. a large part of d- negative disparities and whatever they may be has to do with personal behavior and actions. Yes, is there discrimination? Absolutely. Right. Not denying that whatsoever. Yes. But in many cases, it's it's the boogeyman. It's always the thing that you can blame so right. that you don't have to put forth any of the effort to cor- make a course correction. And as someone who, with brown skin, I, I, I reject that. Hmm. I've experienced discrimination throughout my life, whether being mm-hmm. thrown out of a restaurant, thrown in jail for going the wrong way down a one-way street. Mm-hmm. The list goes on and on. Uh, this is while driving a car, by the way, not like walking down the street. But mm-hmm. Thanks, Thanks there, for clarifying. <laughs> there are so many instances, but I refuse to use that as my crutch. I am mm-hmm. a victor. I am not a victim. Mm-hmm. And so I love the question. Thank you so much, Carrie, for mm-hmm. asking the question. As Christians... We have to look at things from a a radically different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. It means we not only look at the facts, look at the statistics, but we need to also filter that through a biblical lens. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how do I see my fellow brother, my fellow Mm -hmm. sister? One, we're not supposed to discriminate. We're one in Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. So if you're you're hating somebody because of the color of their skin... Mm You better rewind. Mm-hmm. You better <laughs> you better rethink. You better reevaluate. You better look at your own heart and move forward. And if you're the one constantly blaming everybody else for your own failures, and this goes for people of any background, any skin color, if you're blaming someone else for everything going on in your life, you need to rewind and you need to reassess. Right. We love you. That's why we say these things. I know they're not the easiest things to say, but because this is what we're seeing in our culture now, we can't help but just address it. You know, if if everybody, if racism wasn't a word flying around uh, like it is now, recklessly, yes, recklessly, and then just being attached as a label to all these different, uh, you know, situations, we wouldn't have to address it. But that's what we're here for. We're here to address what's actually going on in the culture, so that you and so that we could can actually be effective as we deal with the culture as Christians. Right. And we got to stop letting the world shout out a lie Mm. louder than we're shouting the truth. Yeah. All right. So coming up, we have a special guest in the house. I mean, literally in the house. (laughs) That's how we roll. Yes. It's our youngest, Justice. That's his name. And he's nine years old. And Justice got jokes. Oh, he seriously got jokes. Sometimes he's always joking me and... You've got thick skin, Daddy. Funny, I do have thick skin. But the reality is, the kid makes up jokes all the time. (laughs) He does, and I don't even know where he gets it from. Well, actually, I do know where he He gets gets it it from. from Me? What are you talking about? What? Yeah, mm -hmm, he's witty. Okay, he's ready. He's ready ready to go. go. So I said, okay. Whatever jokes are in your heart today, write them down. Give us three, maybe four. I don't know what we ended up with, and just tell the the life has purpose audience. Some justice jokes. So we originals. Come, yes, originals coming your way when we come back next on Life Has Purpose. Hi, I'm Aaliyah Bomberger, and you're listening to Life Has Purpose with my mom and dad. Martin Luther King Jr. knew that racism had only one cure. And men will recognize that out of one blood, God made all men. To dwell upon the face of the earth. Let us be dissatisfied 
until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everybody will talk about God's power and human power. Five decades ago, we lost a champion, but we didn't lose the truth. We are one human race. Learn more at RadianceFoundation.org. Listen, download, and subscribe at LifeHasPurpose.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And now, a Life Has Purpose podcast exclusive. Wow! Ladies and gents, a jokes by justice. Hey, Jess. <laughs> hey, you ready to roll? Yep. Your first stand-up comedy gig. Yeah, let's do it. Let's <laughs> right. do this. All right, give us some Justice Originals. How does a pig avoid COVID? How? Oh, I don't know. He uses ham sanitizer. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. I want me some ham sanitizer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe a ham sandwich. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I love it. Okay, give us another one. What do you call it when surfers get together? When they get together, surfers. Uh, fun, so surfy. Uh, a wave of uh, excitement. Wow, we're really You late. call it? <laughs> a board meeting. Oh! A board meeting! <laughs> Bam! Oh, that's good. That's, that's good, good buddy. Man. That's good. Come okay. On, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. How does the Hulk listen to music? The Hulk? Yes. The big green Hulk? Uh, I, yep. I don't know. Does he have time to listen to music? He's always saving the world. I don't know. Is he too mad? Know. Maybe he should listen to some classical, but I don't know how he does. How? 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 On the radio. I mean, what? he is radioactive, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, my gosh. Keep it going. Oh. Keep it going. Okay, like, here we go. Go for it. Speak into the mic, baby. Why does the CDC love Spider-Man? Uh, why? I don't know. Because he always wears a mask. Oh, oh sucky, sucky. What? What? Mm. Mm. And he can breathe through his mask, at least. <laughs> saying. We need to bring no. it back on stage, and we need to do an encore. There's got to be one more in this little man. Come on, just off the top of your head. Come on, give it to us. Give it to us. What's another one you've seen? What does a baby and pizza have in common? They're both delivered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you are... Wait a minute. That's, 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 Justin, a, that's our boy right How there. does your brain think? You come up with the greatest things. You did awesome. I'm so proud of you. He's really like... Those are like on the spot justice jokes. I know. And here's the thing. Because Joe... Justice is always, um, <clears throat> he likes joking people. I mean, not like meanly, but he just sees the humor in everything. I know. I love that. It's great. Justice got jokes. Oh, what are we going to do next time? Justice got dance moves. <laughs> oh, Justice got dance <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, we're that, all in is on that. that. Your final, is that your final joke? No, I'm just kidding. Yep. No, it's not <laughs> joke. Have you seen him dance? I know. Oh, he's, he's got great. some. He got him from me. This is Life Has Purpose with Ryan and (laughs) Bethany and and Justice Baumberger. Life Has Purpose. Okay, more Q&A. We got one from Grace in Shadyside, Maryland. And she asks, how does a church leader, whether youth leader or a pastor, preach or approach the subject of abortion being sin, but also making room for forgiveness for those who have already done it in the past. It just seems like an odd situation, saying in the same sentence that abortion is a sin and should be avoided, but there's forgiveness for those who have done it. I hope this makes sense. There's got to be a tactful way to preach and approach this from the pulpit. I like this question because she it's just so honest and so straightforward. And whether it's odd or not, it's okay. They say Christians are peculiar people. There's a verse somewhere about that. But here's the beauty of all this. Let's talk about sin from the pulpit and let's talk about forgiveness all in the same sermon because this is the crux of the gospel and it shouldn't necessarily be considered odd. Let's talk about things that people might have done in the past. That's that's the beauty of recognizing 
where we've been so that we can position ourselves so we move into other places. Listen, we're going to talk to a murderer who's in a in in prison and talk about what he's done in the past right. or a thief, what they've done in the past or what she's done in the past. And we're going to talk about that in light of what God can do. Right. He's a God, I've always said this, he, he created how we live life. And he decided that we wouldn't be able to rewind and go back and redo things. Instead, he's like, regardless of what you've done, take whatever it is, whether it's good or bad, give it over to me, repent of your sins and move forward because I will change your future and redeem your past. Right. And right there, he is our redeemer. There's no point in talking about sin if you don't talk about redemption. The two go hand in hand. Mm. It doesn't matter what the sin is. The sin can be abortion. The sin could be slander. Mm -hmm. Sin could be greed or malice. Mm -hmm. All of those are the same and you need redemption from them. And so I, I I don't find it an odd situation at all. I think it would be odd if you talk about one without the other. Right, right. I mean, we could talk about people who are post-abortive and though they've made irreversible decisions, they're not irredeemable. Right. All of our situations are. I mean, mm-hmm. Saul who became Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone who murdered who knows how many folks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can then become one of the greatest apostles, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's forgiveness. None of us are too far gone. Right. In fact, we should probably emphasize the forgiveness aspect even more heavily than the sin. We don't want to avoid talking about the sin. Of course not. We right. want to illuminate that. But there's just something so beautiful in, in testimonies of how God has rescued people. Mm-hmm. From a life of sin, uh, rescue people from a life of bondage, mm-hmm. of captivity. That's the powerful stuff because when God redeems, it's not it's not like oh well you've been a quarter redeemed, you've been a half redeemed. No, it's one hundred percent. So be bold, talk about these issues, but let people know. Guess what? God loves you no matter what, right. and it, you're that prodigal son, you're that prodigal daughter who's running back, and what is God doing? No. Turning his back? No. No. He's running Running towards you. you. Yeah. In fact, right now, if you're listening and the Lord is just moving on your heart, maybe you are post-abortive and you hear us talking about abortion. This is the message we have for you. God redeems all things. Give him your your heart. Give him the heartbreak. Give him the anxiety. Give it to him because he'll take it and he'll change it around. And you're going to look like a different person in the next months and years ahead when you learn to do that. Go find a Rachel's Vineyard in your area if you need to, or Surrendering the Secret, or Life After Abortion. There are folks that this is what they've dedicated their lives to, helping people like you Find that there is a hope for your future. Today's your day, and this is your day to get healing. Don't let this podcast be over without taking the time to 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 come to grips with the fact that whatever you've done in your past, it doesn't have to dictate who you are in the future. Amen. Oh, it's you know the past is a reference point, people. Yeah. It's not where we dwell, and yeah. so Come I on. love that. We have a great resource at radiance.life/heal. Sure. There are post-abortive yes. resources um, for both women and men, and your local pregnancy center. Many of them offer post-abortion counseling. And so, as a pastor, as a youth group leader, find out where your local pregnancy center is. Go to optionline.org. Yeah. Put in your zip code. You will find your local pregnancy center. Connect with your local pregnancy right. center. So that you you can understand the healing and the transformation that happens at these centers. But as youth leaders, as pastors, as Christians, we don't have the luxury of being silent. Someone Mm. wants so desperately to be set free, to be set free from shame and guilt and the pain. And Jesus says, I got what you need. Amen. And this is a great time to, why don't we segue over into Marcus Bailey from Durham, North Carolina. I think actually because of time, this might be our last question for the day. Let's play that question for our our listening audience. Hey, Ryan and Bethany. I appreciate everything that you are doing. My name is Marcus from Durham, North Carolina, and I am a youth pastor. Uh, I've been speaking to my teenagers uh, lately about a lot of the racial inequality and social injustice and just everything going on in our country. And as I've been doing that, I've been thinking, what are some creative ways uh, to affect change in our community? Uh, What are some things that we can get involved in? Maybe some foundations, some programs, uh, something that we as a group or even individually uh, can get involved in. Uh, to really close up that gap, that divide that we see? Uh, And is there even a way that we can get involved with you personally 
uh, something that we can uh, get our hands dirty and help affect change with you. I would love to hear your response to this. Pastor Marcus, that was just a great question. I love that your heart is to find applications for these things. So many yes. times that we have this faith, we have our knowledge, right? We always say like, how are we going to apply it? Like, how are we motivated to change the world based on the knowledge that God has allowed us to have? A lot of us stop there because right. we don't know what to do with the knowledge. We think that our knowledge and our faith is to change us and make us better people when essentially it's to make us better people so we can go out and be a better person right. and affect change in our own towns. And so regardless if you're in Durham or anywhere else, wherever you are, go out and figure out how can you change your neighborhood? What kind of cleanup programs are there? I mean, who's ever thinking about going and cleaning up a neighborhood? Or um, I know that where we are, there's something called Tree of Life, and that's a food. It, it supplies food to families in need. They're always in need of volunteers. They're in need of volunteers that help serve when they have dinners. They now... Um, do clothing drives for those that don't have coats and certain right. clothes and things of that nature. I'm telling you folks that now is a time that there are a lot of hurting families. So many people who um, whose parents are out of work and now they are juggling, hey, I'm out of work, but now I have to homeschool my kid. And, and there's needs everywhere to be met. Right. From every hue. And I think that's hue. that's the important part. Yeah. And I think that's part of the educational experience for for those in your youth group to understand that that suffering comes in every color. It, it does. really does. When we talk about racial inequality, we have to be careful as Christians that we actually understand the context, mm-hmm. that we actually understand what is truly going on. Because if we simply just listen to to the leftist media, we would think that one that, you know, you hear even in the book, uh, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison, where she says, you know, in America, we're experiencing the, the greatest racial divide than ever before. Really? We weren't more racially divided during slavery. We weren't racially more racially divided during Jim Crow. So we have to be very careful as Christians and how we're even looking at this issue. How are we being informed about issues of race, racism, and inequality? I want to give you three quick mm-hmm. resources. Urban Cure, which is urbancure.org, which is run by our friend Star Parker, who who is African-American woman who grew up in poverty, was in welfare, had multiple abortions. Jesus changed her life, mm-hmm. and she now offers mar- market-based solutions to poverty. And so I would really encourage people to check that out. Project21.org, also an African-American organization that has a very different take on issues of racial inequality mm-hmm. than our mainstream media. And then, of course, Douglas Leadership Institute, which is dlinstitute.org. Look, we have to make sure that we, <laughs> we're we all about you know less activism, more factivism. So that's crucial for me when when we talk about you know in a youth group setting or a church setting are we are we accurately informing congregation the youth group and that's mm-hmm. important but then moving over into how do we how do we play this out how do we put our faith into action i think there's Actually, there's a great way, I think, for young people to get involved, to understand disparities, to understand situations of despair. Volunteer for your pregnancy center, mm-hmm. your local pregnancy center. But it's a great way to but actually- many of them serve people who are in have an area of need. And um, I think so much of what we're seeing as far as people being pro-abortion, especially in their 20s and their 30s and up, because they haven't taken the time to do something like this. If you went to a pregnancy resource center as a Christian teen, because you understand the power behind what we're do- they're doing, right. um, you'd have a completely different perspective. And you'd understand firsthand why it is so important to speak into the lives of people who are dealing with a crisis right in front of them. Right. And if you would talk about racial inequality, you can't talk about it without talking about abortion. You're right. talking about more, you know, abortion rates five times higher in the black community. So than the majority population. So when we talk about racial inequality, we have to be very careful as Christians that we're actually looking at pretty obvious systems of of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. The city of Durham has this racial equity task force. And of course, they recently made recommendations and part of that recommendations were reparations. I think as a as a church, when we talk about racial inequality and some of the, the negative disparities, we have to understand that fatherlessness mm-hmm. is a core component of that. Now that racial equality task force doesn't even mention fatherlessness. Of course, they they add LGBT into I think seven different times in this this report, but never once mentioned dads, never once mentioned fathers, and that's crucial. 
And that's why I think mentoring. Right. Mentoring programs are set up all over the place, but even through our churches, if they're not set up, we should have them set up. Whether it's um, speaking into the issue in, well, in any community, fatherlessness has an effect on children, regardless of the color of their skin. Right. And and those that are in broken families, it's a great way to reach out. Like you just said, these mentoring programs that help put back the pieces of where, where there's been brokenness in families. Right. And when I was in high school, I was involved in a mentoring program where kids who were elementary age or middle school age, um, some who had um, mental disabilities, cognitive disabilities. Um, but there are great ways for even kids that young who are their, you know, mm-hmm. mid-teens, later teens, a great way for them to get plugged in. And and the great thing about this is that you put yourself in relationship Yes. With others who don't look like you, others who may have a different socioeconomic background. So it's a great way for the church to actually act out their faith. And guess what? Even people that come from, like our children have a mom and they have a dad. We're here. We try our very best to be very present with them. But I am so blessed because we have a handful of people that are mentors to our children and speak into their lives and tell them things that, you know, they might, my kids might not listen to from us. And so when we're talking about this, we're saying, Hey, this is a way to help pull back together some of the brokenness in families. But guess what? It's just great to be in relationship with people and to pour into somebody else and to, it's such a great way to get out of our own heads. Yes. I think half the therapies on the planet would not be necessary if we went out there and served other people. It sort of fills a place in our heart. Okay, don't quote me on that statistic. I'm just simply saying that regardless of the situation, mentoring and having, you know, peer peer mentoring groups even, there's just so many great things that can come out of those things. Right. And one of the churches that we were part of years ago uh, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, had a literacy program for children and there are do. lots of volunteers and they still do. It's a powerful program. Mm-hmm. It's such a great way. You know, you're 12, 13 years old and you get to go in and, and read books to a second grader, third grader, mm-hmm. encourage literacy. I mean, there are many ways that a church can be involved. Also with your local police department, right. a lot of uh, local police forces have outreaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in that area, uh, there's, you know, the Durham police have an outreach at summer camps. That's mm-hmm. one of the ways that they reach out. So there are ways that the church can actually get plugged in with your local police. So then there's there's also connection and relationship with the police. Right. Where in this day and age, we need more connection, mm-hmm. more not support. disconnection. Mm-hmm. Right. And more support. And then For the we, good that they're doing. We we love our men and women in blue. And we, we grieve when there are those in whatever position of power, whenever they abuse that power, of course, right. we we don't want to see that. And we want to see more accountability, absolutely. But there are great ways for the church to step in in your local community mm-hmm. where your young people, like Bethany said, can step outside of themselves and get to see a whole new world that's actually right in front of them. Right. So I think that we've given, given you a lot to chew on. Hopefully it wasn't too much. Hopefully it was just the right amount. We have so many more questions that we're just going to have to push off to maybe another show, another day. But we are so grateful for each of those questions. If your question was um, featured on today's podcast, please email us and we'd be happy to send you a shirt as a way to just thank you for um for really putting yourself out there and giving us things that made our uh, made our wheels turn and made us think about things that not just those people asking the questions we're thinking about, but many other people are thinking about these same questions. And so part of our heart is to come up with solutions, not just talk about the problem. But we're grateful for you. Thank you so much for being with us today. And you know, before I forget, Marcus, you asked a great question about what you could do perhaps with the Radiance Foundation and we're a national organization. We do have content. We do have, of course, we do these multimedia keynote presentations where we address a myriad of social issues all in the context of God-given purpose. And for your youth group, you know, we we do youth groups, we do high schools, we do colleges. I mean, we've spoken at Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame, the list goes on and on. We speak to young people all the time. And so that's a possibility. You can go to radiance.life slash booking. We also have this great book called Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. What a great conversation that you can have with your youth group. A great study. In fact, in the next several weeks, we're going to have uh, a workbook that's part of my book, Not Equal Civil Rights Gone Wrong, where you know youth groups can engage high schools, you know, Bible study groups, adult groups, whichever can actually engage in this content 
And of course, you can get The Not Equal Book at notequalbook.com. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from us. We create content at radiance.life for your students, for people in your church to understand, wait, what is a biblical perspective on these issues? Our prayer is that you can use the stuff that we create to help be an agent of change, to play a God-sized role in helping to set others free. We'll see you next time. God bless you. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast. Go to lifehaspurpose.com and give us your feedback. You can also listen and download our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Remember, whatever may come your way. And no matter what people say, your your life life has purpose. purpose.